Hi guys, I'm Deputy Editor Britt Smith and welcome to One on One, a podcast where we feature open, dynamic conversations with your favorite menstrual personalities. Reporter Charles Thorpe recently caught up with Joe Manganiello to talk about his return to Justice League as supervillain Deathstroke, an ex-military mercenary. Deathstroke was meant to have a big role in Ben Affleck's Batman, which was ultimately abandoned. But Manganiello thankfully got more screen time in Zack Snyder's wildly successful director's cut of Justice League. Listen to Manganiello talk about his training, hopes for an origin story, and how he first heard about the character of Deathstroke. Right around the time that Suicide Squad Part 1 started casting, Ayers, Ayers Suicide Squad Part 1, I guess there were behind the scenes conversations about whether Deathstroke would be one of the characters that would show up in Suicide Squad or not. As is customary at the big studios, someone on a desk, I'm sure, leaked that information, I'm guessing for money. And and that got out. And then uh, all this fan art started happening, a version of me as Deathstroke and so that's when I first heard about it. Now, I got offered a part. I had worked with David Ayer previously. He called me and offered me a part in Suicide Squad that I didn't think was the right part for me in the DC universe. And so I just said, I love you to death, but I don't think this is the right one or what I wanted to cash in all of my DC chips for. And so that's when I first found out about him. And then, of course, he wasn't a part of Suicide Squad. That went on. Then I got a call to meet with Ben Affleck about a secret two secret projects, one that would shoot one day in like two months, and then another one that would shoot in about a year that would take six months. And so I you know, assumed it was Justice League and Batman. And then I went and met with Ben. And I didn't know what Ben wanted to meet with me about. And when he asked me, you know, do, do you know why we're meeting? I said, no. And he said, well, if you had a guess, what would you say? And my guess was Azrael who was the one who takes up the mantle of Batman when he can't fight. He said, no, it's for Deathstroke. And I said, oh, okay, interesting. That's the assassin, the one-eyed assassin. He said, yeah. So we had a conversation about Deathstroke, and that was really uh, you know, my first foray into Deathstroke, really. Um, and then I just started reading all the comics, hung out with Marv Wolfman. You know, so what did you connect with about the character? There's a lot to mine there. He's a very complicated character, like some of those. And there's a lot of things that you could unravel about his journey. Once you started doing that research, what did you feel about him? To be honest, I I didn't find much on a human level to connect to. Deathstroke had these superpowers and was lifting submarines over his head and throwing them. I didn't identify and I didn't understand what that was. You know, the powers weren't really defined. I just couldn't wrap my brain around what that was. So for me, it was really about starting over for myself. And I mean, in the same way that I would imagine, you know, Tom Hardy's Bane. It's like, you know, I would imagine Christopher Nolan and Tom Hardy would sit down and look at this character who's got steroids pumped into him through these giant tubes in a, in a Lucha Libre mask. It's like, what, what is that? Like, I don't. So, you know, you have to make something yours. And so I, I started with the basic components and I, I really like to ground things. I like to take things that are big ideas and then, and then really ground them in reality. So, you know, yeah. he's in the military, what part of the military I figured all of that out for myself. I figured out what, a, what would have made him leave. Also, generally, when people turn mercenary from the military, they don't engage in un-American acts. So it's not that this guy's a bad guy in the eyes of, you know, of the U.S., unless he was betrayed by the country that he devoted his life to. So 
I started um, talking to you know CIA. I thought that he would have gone probably Dev Grew Ground Branch. It was all very grounded, and that was those were conversations that I had with the prop masters about the guns. You know, we were getting ready to shoot the tag scene for Justice League. So, a new Fifty Two series where they got into his relationship with his father, basically like why he behaved the way that he did and how that rolled downhill from his father and how he fathered the way that he did almost compulsively as a result. And so it was maybe going to be useful down the line. Now, how much of that backstory was really going to be able to be used in Batman? Probably not much. It was more about, um, you know, it was more about what was going on in that script, which was Slade blamed Batman for the death of his son. And so it was more of a revenge film where he wanted to get back at the man who was responsible. And then when you're talking about, you know, the CIA ground branch type of stuff, that was more, that was when I started really getting into the origin of Deathstroke, which was what went into the treatment that I wrote that the studio was very interested in making an origin film for. So that, that was when I went to, to that level. Tell me about the, the physical element of this. You're a physical guy. Once you started looking at the comics, was there anything about his body type or where he came from that you started to try to train for or, or bring to the physicality of, of this character in Justice League and then set the stage for the rest of the film? You want to come in in the best shape that you can because it's going to be your days at work are going to be very physical. So there's a technique to using a katana. I started studying it in the Jitsu Dojo, training with katana there. Most of the weapons that are the rifles and, and, and handguns that uh, Deathstroke would use would have been things that he used in the military. For example, in the nightmare sequence in uh, Zach's Justice League, I'm carrying an M249 saw squad automatic weapon, which is the heavy, the heavy weapon of the, the Navy SEALs. I'm very familiar with that weapon. I fired that a lot. And I figured, why not? A squad leader would carry an M4, not a, not a saw, but like, Come on, you know, we're in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Give me the heavy shit. So be the best. Um, but as far as like physically goes, yeah, I mean, it all is for the rule. And I didn't want Deathstroke to be superhuman. That wasn't the plan. Maybe that could have come way down the line in the Injustice League. Like, hey, if I'm gonna fight Superman Lex, then why don't you shoot me up with some Give of that me. serum you've got or something? But yeah, as far as going head to head with Batman and in a contained story without the rest of the Justice League involved, then he should be the flip side of the coin to Batman. Batman had a tragedy happen to him at a very young age, and it, uh, it affected him deeply. And due to that trauma, he went on this lifelong mission to, you know, Batman is a utopian who believes in a better society. He believes that people can be better than they are. And he believes that what he's doing at night is going to make a difference. Deathstroke, in my eyes, was someone who would have lost his son, gone through some form of tra uh, trauma. And rather than go down this altruistic route, he would have wanted revenge. And uh, that's a very caustic fuel. And also, I think, you know, when you lose an eye, you think you die, you're going to die. When you go, you know, people who go through, you know, near-death experiences, there's, um, you know, you wind up in, um, in Nietzsche's tunnel. There's a very nihilistic approach. There's nothing else but what we have. And, you know, when we die, we're mulch and this is all meaningless and there is no God. And I'm just going to get revenge and, and even the score while we're here. 
And, um, and that's a very dangerous person, I think. And, um, but like I said, those are the flip side. That's the flip side of the coin. You know, he's willing to use tactics that, that Bruce would not, you know, when Rajal Ghul presents Bruce with murder, this man, you know, the mm-hmm. thief, Bruce won't do it. Slade would, yeah. Slade would do it. Slade would not, I don't think Slade would have much of a problem doing it. And so therein lies the difference, you know, and which one is more suited to lead the League of Shadows or be a part of the League of Shadows. I, I leave that decision up to the audience, but I, I, that was, that was, those were along the lines of what I wanted to present. I wanted to basically step by step that there was this, this shadow version of Bruce Wayne and the two of them were going to go head to head. The film that Zach did does so much to, to set that stage. And I think I'm not alone where a lot of us have been talking and that's what we want to see more than most things is, is Deathstroke versus Batman. Someone like you, you obviously have resources, you have connections to people that you've built in the entertainment. When it comes to finding somebody that can teach you Katana or someone who can take you to the right gun range. Even though I'm not, if you put me in a lineup and said, which guy looks like a Navy SEAL, a lot of the times you'd say me. Whereas... I have friends of mine who who are Navy SEALs and, and who were Navy SEALs, and you wouldn't necessarily think that that's that's that guy, but but I look like that guy, so I get to play that guy in a lot of things. So over the years, you know, you you, you know, I, I've been cast in a lot of different military roles, and and I've befriended, um, you know, one of the guys in my uh, wedding party is a former SEAL. Uh, who I actually hired to train me for a film that I did years and years ago when the production, the actual production, did not hire a Navy SEAL. So I just, but I was already out ahead of it. I already showed up to set, ready to go with the, with my script, with notes in it, everything. And, you know, it just got to the point where I flew the guy to, to, to the location. I said, what are you doing for the next couple of weeks? I'll fly you down. I'll put you up at the hotel. It's on the beach. You'll love it. I'll pay you. Come on. You know, like, and then I became friends with him. And like I said, he's in my wedding party. And then, you know, there were other Navy SEAL centric projects where I got to meet other guys who were in the command, you know, at different branches of the Navy. I generally get along with those guys really well. So, you know, we go out shooting or hang or talk or get together, grab coffee every once in a while. And I stay in touch with those guys and they become my friends. So there's that. The other side of it is like, I knew there was a guy who was really heavily into Japanese martial arts specifically. And I called him and said, Hey, have you ever worked out with katanas? Did you ever train with katanas? And he said, yes. And I said, well, you know, I I need to train for a movie. Where where would I go? And, you know, you just, you just do your detective work. It's like police work. You know, you Mm -hmm. just follow up an old lead that you remember from four years ago or 10 years ago, or, and then you just have to be open-minded and willing to, to, you know, to get in there yeah. and really dedicate yourself to what you're doing. The katana is very interesting. The katana is an extension of, of your body. And to the point where, you know, if you see someone punch through boards or blocks of ice or cement blocks or like the one inch punch, that's a focusing of the chi and of the energy into this strike. And that's applicable to all types of sports and certainly when you get into katana training, you have to focus your chi into the sword and, and cut. And it's not necessarily how hard you swing. It's this focusing of energy. And if you can understand that principle, then you can start to, 
to understand how to make cuts because I, I would watch grown men. I would watch their katanas bounce off of the bamboo where they couldn't find a way to focus them. And that's, I think, a, a really fun thing about acting is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I've, I've lived so many lives. I've done so many things. I've studied so many different things. Did you fire off at the gun range anything like the M4 or the weapon that you use in Justice League? I've shot those so much and own own some <laughs> of those things. So I'm I'm always training, knocking the dust off. Whenever I've got something to train up for, I'll call my you know my Navy SEAL buddy, and we'll we'll go up there. And he's a really fantastic teacher. His name's Jeff Reeves. Uh, he runs a company called Shadow Works, and he's a phenomenal teacher. He has these great drills and progressions and uh, I've worked with him enough that, you know, there's a shorthand, but, but he's, he's, you know, he's just a, a great teacher. So you need to find yourself like the best teachers. That's great, man. Hopefully I can look him up next time in the West coast when travel happens again, fingers crossed that scene was, was smaller than what we want to see with death stroke. When it comes to like a death stroke training plan, you know, you've trained up for a few things in, in past projects. What would the physicality of, Deathstroke be like? Would you train differently than you have in the past, or would it just be keeping in line what you do present day? True Blood is similar. Where I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be sinewy. I wanted to, I wanted to be animalistic. I mean, I would imagine that Hugh Jackman went through the same thing with Wolverine. So it's True Blood. I'm playing a supernatural creature who's part animal. So. That's a that's a very unique physique. With Deathstroke, I mean, there's no premium on aesthetics. That character is just a he's a killer. I mean, if you look at like Navy SEALs and CIA guys, or you know, they're not they're built, but they're built like athletes. When you're doing a film like this or playing a character like this, he's he's a soldier. So it's just about practical movements. I need to be able to fight. From that perspective, it's it's more about training like a fighter. I didn't get to do it, but that's that's what I was planning on doing was something along those lines. Did you mess at all with blocking an eye or seeing what uh, having some sight taken away from you would feel like? Yeah, I mean, there were a few takes where I reached for that champagne glass and uh, and, and grabbed air because <laughs> when you when you have an eye block, or you have an eye patch, or you have an eye closed, your depth perception is gone. So. I kind of chuckled to myself when I watched the the Snyder cut because I was like, ah, oh, that that's probably the one take where I actually grabbed the glass off the table. What I had fantasized about or was planning was some form of hybrid martial art or some kind of like offshoot of ninjutsu in which someone's posture or stance would change to account for the fact that they only had one good eye. So in order to get periphery, I mean, if you, if you cover your eye, you can't, this whole side of the room is gone. So I now, once I turn this way, I can still see you, this sideways kind of cock stance, which I was excited to see how that worked and, and to work with, with an expert on coming up with things like that, things that were very proprietary to the character and, and really putting a different spin on it. You can notice the trend is like, I wanted this character to, to be mine and be very unique, but be very well thought out. It must feel good for of course for zach but to see it come a little bit closer to what he was envisioning for the trilogy to mm -hmm. sort of set that stage in the response just the other day i was on twitter i saw over a million tweets way more than that restore the snyderverse people mm -hmm. are calling for it. people want more mm -hmm. from these characters you have the content here you have the work done 
What are your feelings? I've never not been ready. It would be it would be a fucking shame if at least to some degree some of this wasn't continued. Um, and I think that you know a, a million fans would agree with that. You know, so so we'll see. Studios have their way of they have their plans and they have their ways of doing business. And uh, you know, I I really do think that the world was robbed seeing a Gareth Evans Deathstroke origin film that would have occupied an independent space within the DC universe. It would have been its own story. It would have been its own contained story that would that it was like Joker, you know, with Joaquin Phoenix, where Joker kind of exists in his own his own special universe, but you could see how other characters could potentially come in and out, but it would have its own flavor. And that's what was uh, that's what was being planned. And I was really excited to see Gareth stick his flag in that part of a really big tentpole universe. And, um, you know, with his style is such a unique style. And I think that that would have lent itself really, really, really well. Um, and would have given people something different, but also something that, you know, the fans of the genre would have lost their minds. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's it would be sad if I didn't get to do a Deathstroke origin or use that story, because generally everybody I go into detail with or, or give them the pitch, you know, buy me lunch and I'll tell you what we were going to do. And, and, and I run them through it and they're like, God damn it. I want to see that movie. And I'm like, I haven't met one person that hasn't said exactly that at the end. So yeah, it would be sad, but you know, we'll see. It was a very unique circumstance. What happened to the DC universe? I will say that it was a very unique circumstance. One that somebody's going to do a documentary or write a book about at some point. I'm sure. I'm sure. hundred percent, man. And you played so many impactful characters. You also, you mentioned how you had certain superhero roles tossed your way and gone for this route. Do you feel like you're ready to move on to another route or do you feel like you're so ingrained in the Deathstroke story that it would be hard for you to pull away from that? After like the third incarnation of Suicide Squad two starring me and Will Smith was was you know was was canceled, um, you just go okay, like it's not up to me, and you know that's it. So both of the Magic Mike movies were for Warner Brothers, so I had great relationships with everyone over there. And then there was also this other huge <laughs> Warner Brothers movie title role that I was up for at one point, and. Um, you know, so I knew everybody over there and we were talking about what to do. And, and I had actually pitched them Lobo. I said, I, I said, I would absolutely murder Lobo. And um, I guess Michael Bay had a, had a Lobo script that was floating around at one point. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then there was another version. So there were like a few different versions of Lobo. And I was actually talking to them about, about that when John Berg said, you know what? I've got this idea. I'm not going to say what it is right now, but you know, if it comes around, it could be amazing. It could be amazing. So just hang in, you know. And sure enough, then like a couple months later, I got a call to go meet Ben about Deathstroke and Batman. So are there other characters? Sure, of course. I mean, I'm Deathstroke in this universe. So like I said, I, I really do think that there's there are some things that uh I think there's just a lot of fans out there that would like to see this character. And I also don't think the characters ever really fully had his due. Cause like I said, I, you know, I've never watched the TV versions of Deathstroke and I've never watched the animated versions either. I didn't want any of those in my brain. I just wanted it to be my own version. You know, I also wanted my, my Deathstroke origin to be 
somewhere adjacent to the Nolan universe. I wanted it to to kind of exist in, in in that timeline, or at least tie in some of those characters. I mean, when you look at the dominoes that had to go down to cancel all of those projects, it's it's it makes your brain hurt. With Ben and his Batman when that first got announced, I mean, it's so perfect. I can't wait to see everything that he does with Batman. And then to have that announcement and you guys going head to head, I was like, it just seemed like the right equation, you know? Yeah, it was. Well, he was coming off of Argo, producing, directing, starring in Best Picture of the Year, and he got robbed at the Oscars. How do you how how does your how does your movie win Best Picture and you don't even get nominated for Best Director? Nine times out of ten, the Best Director Oscar goes to the Best Picture winner. Clearly, and so yeah. how do you not even get nominated? That, that's that's a, that was a, that's a joke. It's crazy. So I mean, you're talking about a very prolific guy who had an Oscar for writing, Oscar for producing. I can tell you how how excited I was to be a part of that man's project. We talked about it, and, and he was like, "You know, you're in good hands," and I, you know, I believe it. I, I, you know, I, I was such a big fan of, of the town and Argo. I mean, all of it. So, yeah, it's a bummer, man. It's it's all of those what ifs, you know. In some other dimension, Ben got to make that movie. You guys accomplished something amazing despite everything that was thrown in the way, and I think that's a testament to what you guys did. You know, I was happy to be a small part of that. I was happy for Zach to call me back and, you know, dust the suit off. Now I'm actually a part of the Snyderverse because, you know, the, the, the end credit sequence, Zach, you know, Zach directed, Zach shot it, but it really was the prologue to the Batman movie. It really wasn't a part of Justice League. It had nothing to do with Justice League. That was, that was just our prologue that was, you know, tacked on to the end. So, yeah, it was fun to be able to come back and... Do I wish I would have got to play the character? Well, of course, of course. You know, it's like the biggest, the biggest job of your career is in your hand. But it's also not the only time that that's happened either. I've had, I mean, shit, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to talk about it, but I had one of the worst, I don't even want to call it a heartbreak. It was like the worst backbreaks ever of my career, where I was the unanimous pick of the entire creative team, the entire studio, the rights holder, the showrunner author of this gigantic IP and the head of the network said, no, that's not your guy. And it was a six month process of jumping through hoop after hoop after hoop after hoop. So, you know, this shit happens. I mean, Spider-Man, I was cast as Flash Thompson. Two weeks later, my roommate came home and said, my friend auditioned for your role. I went, that's not possible. And the head of the studio at the time said, I don't think he's whatever. She didn't like me. And so took the role away from me after Sam Raven gave it to me and then searched for somebody else for a month and a half, did the whole search all over again. And then my agent called me and said, well, they didn't find anybody else. So the part's yours. Like, you know, just like, welcome to Hollywood, kid. Wow. It's brutal. You know, it's, it's just a, you know, you have to be, you have to rip really thick skin and you have to have a quarterback's ability to forget about the last play and move on. You have to, you have to say, okay, Batman's not happening. It's over. Okay. I start work on the treatment for the origin story tomorrow. That doesn't happen. Okay. Who's directing suicide to let me read that script. You know, you just, you just move to the next, you move, you just have to keep moving and fighting. And, uh, you know, what are you trying to develop next? What kind of roles do you want to have next? I still want to see a Deathstroke movie, but for you, where are you also looking? I started producing because I wasn't getting offered the kind of roles that I wanted. 
because I've been producing since I was in high school. You know, I, I made my own films. So it's something that comes naturally to me. But because of that, I've been able to develop projects where I can act. You know, I remember screen testing for, for 300 part two. And they said, okay, uh, you're going to do it with a British, a British dialect. And I said, okay, well, which one of the 26 British dialects is appropriate for an Athenian warrior who actually had a language that, <laughs> you know, that, that isn't English? Fine. All right. Okay. I'll come in and do it. And I remember that the director, Noam Morrow, I, I, you know, I went through it the first time through and he kind of cocked his head and was like, do it again. I went, okay. And I did it again. And he went, he cocked his head again. Yeah. I said, do it again. Did it again. And he said, I, I didn't think you were going to be able to do that. And I said, do what? You know, but, but it's like somehow you're sometimes your reputation procedure, or at least that box that people have put you in, in their mind. And I think the trap of becoming famous for something as an actor or as an artist is that as soon as you do that thing and you break through, then that's who you are. And bang, there goes the stamp. And then everything you're going to get offered after that is going to be bad. For me, it was a lot of things that, that I was not interested in doing or pursuing. I said no to everything for about a year and a half straight. The only thing I said yes to, Pee-wee's Big Holiday. I told Paul, I just was like, I said, this is my crybaby. You know, it was like Johnny Depp became famous for 21 Jump Street and didn't, you know, just really wasn't into the continuing the teen idol box that he corner he was painted into. And so he went off and did a John Waters movie. That was his next role. And for me, you know, after the Magic Mics, it was like, my next role is going to be with Paul Rubens in a, in a Pee-wee movie, this really dark, comedic film. And so, you know, I, I think I think producing has offered me, an, offered me an opportunity to show the entertainment industry who I actually am. Not who they thought I was, but who I actually am. And so it's to continue down that road to find new things that um, that excite me. I went from like a basically like a prison baseball movie, prison minor league baseball movie to a homeless drug addict, powerless version of Superman to now this movie about the Smiths and the breakup of the Smiths in 1987. So I'm also in the middle of like negotiating this thing that would really jump me onto a completely different career track um, or would kind of further the producing thing to like another like really extreme level. We'll see if that thing comes to, to bear fruit. I'm excited for all that stuff. I'm definitely excited to hear what you're up to next. I love the the gaming stuff that you do and, and the love you have for games. I'm a, I'm a bit of a gamer myself. So these days, there's so many great properties. People are seeing the potential there, the excitement there. I have friends who are streamers who are just, their numbers are insane these days. And I think Hollywood's figured out that interest to another level. Are there any properties or games that you've thought of bringing to life since you've been in that world for a little bit now? Yes, there are properties that I have aligned with and am currently in various stages of development with. And, um, and hopefully, you know, those will, those, will, uh, those will stick to the wall. That's what led to me working with Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I grew up with it and always wanted to work for a company like that as a kid. So I, I get to do that in my spare time. I get to kind of moonlight as a, as a game designer. There's a game called Hero Quest, which is basically Dungeons and Dragons in a box. And uh, they're in the process of relaunching it. And I game designed an entire 10 adventure quest pack. So I got to do that, which was like 
hard work. It was like, it was intense designing that, but I, I love it. I understand how to do it. You know, I've also gotten to write for Dungeons and Dragons. I wrote part of an adventure module that came out last year and created a bunch of characters that appear in it that I licensed to D&D that now appear in canon. And I designed and, and we sell little miniature action figures of all the characters that I created and they're available for purchase and t-shirts and stickers and stuff of all these characters. And they appear in video games, I actually license them out to a video game called Idol Champions. So it's a way for me to be creative. I mean, I guess that's really what it's about. It's just how many different ways can I be creative? I started a streetwear line um, because I, I was into heavy metal and fantasy art. And um, I thought that those could make cool pieces of wearable art you know, enlisted some graphic designers and, and, and got to work on that. And that's been really successful and, and really fun to do. I grew up with Henry Rollins' work ethic in mind. He would keep a journal of like everything he did that was productive and all of his output. And, yes. and I think about that a lot. And um, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to just get it all, get it all out and get it in the hands of, of people that, that also enjoy it. I actually didn't know about the heavy metal thing. What bands, what heavy metal are you into? I love Ozzy. I've been talking to their camp about doing some stuff with them. Yeah, I have a, like kind of a re rethinking of some of the Ozzy lore that I'd like to turn into some fun pieces. And, um, you know, I grew up with like Pantera, Sepultura, Biohazard was my first concert, Metallica. I was at every White Zombie show. I mean, while I'm brushing my teeth in the morning, I'm watching Danny Carey drum just to fathom that level of, of of mastery like we were talking about before hopefully i hear more about these projects man because uh they're all very exciting to me and it was great to chat with you man stay safe hope the family's well take care of yourself appreciate it thank you appreciate very much you, Joe. thanks thanks for joining us on this week's episode of one-on-one don't forget to subscribe and check back in for more exclusive interviews